Sorry, there we go. And we're going to pray and then dive into God's Word for us. So Father, we just thank You this morning that there is grace and abundance for us in Christ. That Lord, as Your people, You have lavished on us Your love, Your grace, Your mercy, so that we can become the people that You've always intended us to be. I thank you right now, Lord Jesus, you are risen from the dead, you are on the throne, and right now you're interceding for us, you're praying for us, you're our representative in heaven so that, Lord, we're not thrown out, that every blessing, every enabling, every grace is made available for us because of you, and that this morning, Lord, that whatever our situation is, whatever the things that we face in our lives individually, that, Lord, there is enabling from you to go through. There is power from you to see things dealt with so that we can fulfill what it is you have given us to do and we can become the disciples that shine Jesus wherever we go. And so we thank you this morning. We pray for your aid. I pray for your help. Lord, your word is perfect and true, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have ears that hear, and Lord, grant to us that work of your spirit that enables us to change our minds, to see things from your side. Grant us the gift of repentance so that we may be those who walk more closely with you. And we just ask for your blessing. I ask, Lord, for your anointing to rest upon both speaker and hearer alike. For Jesus' sake. Amen. If you'll turn in your Bibles, we're going to read from John 17. It's a long section, but I don't really want to break it up. Although we're going to be looking at just part of it this morning. This section of Scripture is... When Jesus is on his way to the cross. So the Last Supper has taken place. And now we see from chapter 13, now in 14 and 15 and 16, Jesus is on his way to the cross. Actually, he's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to spend pretty much the rest of the night in prayer before he's arrested. This is one of the only times you get to see or read of what kinds of things Jesus prays. Whenever, every, whenever there's a situation where Jesus prays, it's something just says he prayed. There's one time when he's in front of the tomb of Lazarus and he says, Lord, I'm praying this so that the people here know that I belong to you. It wasn't a pl- time of intimacy. He was just praying it so that the people around knew that, that, he, that God heard him and that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Very seldom do you find um, in Scripture this, this account of prayer. Now, remember, Jesus would go every day. He would go out early in the morning before everybody else, and he would spend time with the Father alone. Prayer is not a performance. I'm going to say that again. Prayer is not a performance. Some of you will be asked over these next months to come, and and as we gather here and we're singing, you'll be asked to pray. It's not a performance. You're not trying to impress anyone. The only person you have to connect with is God. If everyone understands it or doesn't, 
I don't want to say who cares, because if God hears you, then you have that which you're requesting of him. So don't let, well, I better write it all out. I wasn't, in, this isn't part of what I'm going to be preaching on, but I'm going to hit it. Some of you are like, well, I got to write it all out. I got to just write. Listen, the Holy Spirit himself is the intercessor in the earth. The Holy Spirit himself, Jesus is at the throne. The Holy Spirit, who is God, was poured out so that we can pray, we can praise, we can preach. The Holy Spirit is given to empower us to pray. So when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what are you going to do? Pray. You'll pray, you'll preach, you'll uh, praise. It's normal. He takes hold of your tongue (laughs) and he works through it. And so when you come to pray, just wait on the Lord. Now I understand sometimes we like to write things down. We're afraid, what if we get it wrong? Okay, what if you get it wrong? What's going to happen? A lightning going to come down and strike you? Come on. When your kids come to you and they're young and they ask you for something, don't ask it quite right. Do you say, well, you stupid kid, pow! If you did, you'd be arrested, the kid would be taken away. Our father isn't like that. And we don't want the fear of man to guide us when we pray. We want the Holy Spirit himself to be the one that enables us to open our mouth and call upon the name of the Lord. Amen? Okay. But Jesus is now praying. He's in the garden. He kind of goes off by himself, but John is there and he's hearing, and the Holy Spirit then later reminds him of the things that Jesus prays. So he pens it down for us. So this is a this is a window into the relationship between Jesus and the Father. Verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said. (laughs) Now just, (laughs) it's interesting. He doesn't do this to pray. What's he do? He lifts his eyes to heaven and pray. Most of us were told, bow your heads and close your eyes. I don't know where they got that. It's not in the Bible. I understand with kids, it's easier to have them pay attention when you're doing that. But that isn't what Jesus does. He lifts his eyes to heaven and prays. Just his very action communicates to us the boldness and the confidence that he has in what he's going to say. Do you meet people who won't look you in the eye? There are people that I meet because of whatever's gone on in their life. They don't want to look you in the eye because they're shame. They're afraid you're going to see it somehow in their heart. And they'll talk to you. They don't want to look at you they'll, 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 like this. And it's not an attack. It's just that it happens. And when, when it's like that, and if you're hiding something, if you think the pastor's going to see what you did last night, if you don't like to look me in the eye, they're afraid I'm going to see it. I'm not the one you need to be concerned about. But when shame is there, we don't want to look. Jesus, he's going to pray some really strong things here. There's no shame. There's no, oh, I shouldn't be praying that. There's no drawing back. 
Now remember, in a few hours, he's going to get arrested. A few hours, he's going to be hanging on a cross. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. By the way, that's the definition of eternal life. It isn't I get to live forever. It's I know the only true God. Jesus isn't preaching here. He's praying. He's not trying to impress anyone. He's just making a statement of fact. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only true God. Allah is not God. Buddha cannot get you to heaven. Muhammad cannot help you. He's dead. Jesus is risen from the dead, and he alone has the power to give eternal life. That's what he claims. Jesus says it. Joseph Smith and Mormonism can't give you eternal life. Jehovah's Witnesses offer you something, but they can't give you eternal life. Only Jesus, who is the eternal Son of God, God in flesh, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. He is the one, the only true God. It also means there's probably a lot of false ones. And this is eternal life, that they may know you relationship with you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus is speaking here in his prayer of things that happened long before the creation ever existed. Before the world was, he says, I was there. Before the world was, I was with you. Before the world was, I shared your glory. God doesn't share his glory with anyone except the Son and the Spirit because they're one. We believe in a triune God. I've heard people say, well, that word triune isn't in the Bible. No, the word itself isn't, but what it teaches is. It's a theological term that we use to try to describe the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are God, a singular in unity, a plural together, not three gods, one God from all eternity past. Jesus didn't have the name Jesus until Bethlehem but he's eternally been the son of God from all eternity past. He's the only one to reveal the father. I'll give you a clue on something. When you're reading the Old Testament and you find that there's, it says that the Lord spoke or there's someone, a being of some sort like with Abraham that shows up and Abraham begins to pray. 
or Isaiah when he's in his vision and he's there in the throne room and he sees the one on the throne, that's the eternal son of God. He is the only one that eternally reveals the father. That's the one he's speaking to. When it comes to it, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. He said when Isaiah was there that he saw my glory. He is the one. No one has seen the Father, not at any time. But he who is in the bosom of the Father revealed him to us. Jesus is God made flesh, but he's always been God, eternally God. I know this is a doctrinal thing, but you have to know that it's true. Because I hear, and in my spirit, it's just been all morning, it's just like, I know, saints, that people come against you. I know they come against and they want to argue with you. And sometimes we feel that if I don't have the right argument, maybe what I believe isn't true. That's nonsense. Sometimes, oh, it's one of them Islam uses. Well, where in the Bible does Jesus says, I'm God, worship me? Have you ever heard that question? Anyone? Yeah, okay. Jesus didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He'll return and everyone will worship and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. That will happen. But when he came, he didn't come to be worshiped like that. He came to give his life as a ransom. He came to serve. That was one of the purposes for which he came. But I'll tell you this, even the demons know who he was. And when they saw him, they said, we know who you are, you're the Holy One of God. And when your enemies recognize the power and the authority, well, the ones who had been there. Lord bless. Glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men you have given me out of the world. They were yours you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. And they have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you have sent me, that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I pray, um, pardon me, for, for the yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you have given, those who you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that was Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, 
and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Let me read that again. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he prays for those who will believe because of what these will preach and write down. And how many of you are believers this morning? Okay, you've believed because of their word. So who is Jesus praying for there? For you. There's only one Holy Father, and he's the one on the throne. There is no man that we call Holy Father. I'm going to say it again. There is no man that we call Holy Father. There is no Pope or priest that we call Holy Father. Jesus used that phrase for God the Father alone. Keep that title for him alone. Are we okay? Yeah. Everyone's real quiet this morning. But Jesus is praying for you that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent, that, pardon me, that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. That's a powerful prayer. Now, Jesus doesn't pray on his own. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He has the Spirit without measure. He prays what's on the heart of the Father. So everything that's in that text is in the heart of the Father. And you can take it for yourself in that regard. But I want to touch on something. When Jesus makes the statement... He talks about salvation, not just in a sense where someone has believed in Jesus, which is the truth. 
It's not just that someone has turned away from their old life and put their trust in the one who died and rose again, believing that God had sent him. What he does say is this, Father, all of those that belong to you, that you gave to me. (laughs) I don't know if that registered. When someone believes in Jesus, it wasn't just your idea. You were given as a gift from the Father to the Son. That's why you came to faith in Jesus. Salvation just isn't something that happens when all of a sudden I hear a message and I believe, although that's part of the process. But God says that Jesus came, in the Bible it says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. It doesn't say, please hear me, it doesn't say that he came so that you could seek him to be saved. It says in the scriptures that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to do the seeking, he came to do the saving. Now I just, some of you like, well, wait a second now. When I came to faith, I was seeking God. I'm not doubting that you were but I'm gonna say to you, the natural disposition of your heart wasn't to seek God, but to run from him. It wasn't to seek God and to want to know him and to do things his way. You may have been enamored with religion. I don't know the smells and bells or whatever that comes with it. You might've been seeking purpose and meaning. All of those are good things, but that's not the same thing as being saved. (laughs) The man who died next to Jesus on the cross could you imagine someone saying to them, saying to him, listen, dude, you need to put your trust in Jesus. God has a wonderful plan for your life. And he has all these things, these good things that he wants to do in you and through you in the world. Within hours, the guy's going to be dead. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died. Why? Because you're a sinner because you've rebelled against God and the only way you can get free from that inside is that he has to deliver you in power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. He brings you out of it. How about a little honesty in church? (laughs) Some of you know what it's like. You get stuck going around in circles around the same stupid thing. Why do I keep doing the same? I know I shouldn't do it. You've read the psychology books. You've looked online for advice. Maybe you've done chat GBT or whatever that is to find out what I should do. And no matter what kind of knowledge you gain, I don't seem to have the ability to change the way I need to. That's because of the nature that we were born with. That's why you have to be born again. That's why the Holy Spirit not only has to make you alive, but he has to pour his power into you so that you can keep living like following Jesus. You can keep moving in that direction. He's the only one that saves you. The Bible talks about salvation is you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. But the gospel is the power of God for us who are being saved. And the Bible says those that endure to the end shall be saved. Salvation's a big picture. 
It's not just this. I prayed a prayer in like 1952. It's he saved me. I'm being saved. That sanctifying work, the power of his spirit, the power of his word in you to make you the individual, to cause you to grow up. Sidetracking, I know, but how many of you realize that when you came to faith in Jesus, your identity changed? You went actually from being a sinner to a saint. You went from being an orphan to being a child of God. This is what happened to you. You went from having the devil as your father, following in his footsteps, doing what he wanted you to do. You just thought it was your idea. And then having been rescued out, God changed you and made you a child of God with God as your heavenly father. Listen to me. That was a point in time where you crossed over. That's a point in time where you crossed over. The thing is, is that the only way to see those things manifest is you have to mature in them. Your children, oh, I love it. Look at this little one back here. Rian's little one back here. She's lovely. Oh, I won't wake her. All right, we've got some of the other little ones. Let me see. Can I, can I borrow you for a second, little one? Come in. Just don't cry. Oh, wonderful. Now, this little one, in her is all the genetics of mom and dad. Oh, him. Sorry. I'm sorry. I was thinking. All the genetics of mom and dad. Except for he's not mature yet, is he? He has to what? Grow up. Now, he has to become a man, not a lad. <laughs> i say that again. He's got to grow up and become a man, not a lad. Right? See, some men don't grow up. They just remain at mama's house playing on their Xbox. That's not for you. Right? And, and so, so, but whether it's male or female, listen, that, that all, all of the seed, all of the genetics are here but it takes time to mature. He's going to face struggles. I'm so sorry. (laughs) He's going to have to learn how to walk. Is that easy? Not for them. We look at it and like, oh yeah, isn't that beautiful? (laughs) But he has to learn how to walk. He's going to have to, hopefully, maybe he'll get, oh my, oh my, you don't want to fall down. Oh my, oh bless you. Yeah, and you're going to get scared by people. <laughs> but everything, everything that God plants in you has to take time to mature. And you have to learn how to walk in it. It's one thing to say, Lord, I'm redeemed. <laughs> it's another thing to walk as one who's redeemed. You understand what I'm saying? It's one thing to say, Lord, you've made me, I'm sanctified. Hallelujah. It's another thing to walk holy when no one else is watching. But don't be discouraged in the struggle. (laughs) Don't get downhearted because it's not coming as easy maybe as it once did. There's more pressure. Why is that? 
Because the only thing God can do is put you through the process to get you to mature. And the Bible says that when you go through the trial, when you go through the difficulty, it's producing a perseverance in you. But let faith, let faith be that which guides you. So I, no, I believe this. Lord, I am yours. I'm yours. Jesus, you did die and you rose again from the dead. This is why the gospel is the power of God for us who are being saved, because I'm confident in this. You began to work in me. You, you didn't ask me to fix everything. You, you took me out of my darkness. You made me yours. And now it's, it's difficult. I need grace today. I need your enabling today. I need your power today. He says, go to the throne of grace so you can receive mercy and grace in times of need. Many of us, when we come to faith, God does this stuff inside you and we still think like the world thinks. We still function with our old mindset. We still function the way everyone around us has been doing it, the way I've done it, the way we've always done it. The way you've always done it got you into the problems you had. And you have to, listen, it's great being in the presence of God, having the word of God come to us and praying together and being together. Those are wonderful things and those are all part of God's provision for us. But I'm gonna, at the core you have to repent. At the core, you have to have your mind changed so that you don't keep doing the same. I don't keep doing the same stupid stuff of my past. But I grow. The Bible says, God says of his people, my people perish for lack of knowledge. There's someone that I, I know, I'm, not, I'm gonna be vague on the details. But we went to go, Pastor Claire and I went to go and visit. And the little one in the family, there was a demonic force in that individual. And he was just a boy. And, and we went to go and visit and he smacked his mom and started cursing at her. We were visiting. Pastor Claire says, just keep out of it. But it was rising up in me. I couldn't. And I went out. And I said, boy, you don't talk to her that way. His eyes rolled back, big old grin come over his face, said, oh, that's what we're dealing with here. Well, we, we, we dealt with it in the name of Jesus. You don't have to be super mature to deal with things like that because it's the name, his name, his power, his anointing, okay? It's his kingdom. But that thing left. Now, the family has decided to put him into martial arts. I'm like, what are you doing? You're inviting the same spirits back into the boy's life because they've always done stuff like that. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking maybe there might be here people who don't realize that martial arts is a form of Eastern mysticism with the chi and everything else. That's what the kids are watching on television with their cartoons. Talks about chi the Buddhism, the Eastern mysticism, where you have to gain the power internally to fight. That's why they bow to each other. There's a whole slew of things that go with it. And they're seeking that power. That's inviting a foreign spirit into their life. And as parents, they're guiding them back into it. But because their mind isn't changed about what's appropriate as a believer, then they go back and start doing, and then they wonder why things are happening the way they did before. 
because they haven't left the behavior behind. And so if I keep doing the same things that I did before and I'm, I'm puzzled, well, Jesus, you said I'm your child. You said you forgave me. You said that I'm supposed to overcome. It doesn't feel like I'm overcoming at the moment, but your behavioral choices are still leaving you over here. And as soon as you change your mind about them and leave them behind, the mixture is the problem. We have these in the schools now, it's in the news where then so many of these schools have to get torn down and rebuilt because the, 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 the concrete in there is full of air and bubbles and it doesn't last. And if they had just put all the ingredients that were necessary rather than cutting the corners, then those things would last a long, long time. Well, some of us are functioning like that. We're thinking I can put the cheap materials in and I can keep some of this and keep some of that. And I don't want to be too holy now. And we wonder why things are crumbling. There's a repentance that's needful. Repentance is is a good friend in the kingdom because it's the change of mind. You actually see things differently. Are we okay? Listen, I want to see you mature. God has has done so much in so many of you in really a short period of time. And I watch you guys come so far and you're like, and they just kind of stand here. You're not going to produce the fruit that God intends if you stand there. He wants you all in because then he can really deal with the things and so that you can experience like Jesus said, the fullness of his joy in the midst of it. Is this making sense? Jesus said, he says, I'm not of the world. A couple of times in the prayer, he says, Father, I'm not of this world. Jesus came from eternity. He lived differently than everybody else. Fair enough? He didn't get conformed to the pattern to which everyone else did it. He didn't do it religiously. They kept having a go at him because he didn't obey the traditions. They kept having a go. They came against him. They said, well, why are you eating with those people? Why don't your people wash their hands before they eat the grain? Why does this happen? Why does this happen? And he's he's, he's delivering people, healing people, raising people from the dead, and they're more concerned about their traditions than the power of God being manifest. That's odd. That's a religious spirit where you're more concerned about the past than you are the power of God working right now. Lord, help us with that. He didn't conform to the way they wanted him to do it. That tends to happen anytime God moves by his spirit. And Jesus, but he keeps walking this out. And he says, I sanctify myself so that they can be sanctified. In other words, I'm gonna live or I've lived in such a way that all of these things, neither the enemy, nor the world, nor my enemies, not even my friends, would be the ones to tell and conform me. Father, I do what you tell me to do, even if everyone else doesn't agree. Father, I'm listening to you. I'm being conformed outwardly. He's doing it as a high priest, going through all the suffering as a man, so that when it comes time for being where he is now, he can pray for us. But he was perfected through suffering, the Bible says. I thought he was perfect. He is perfect, always was, no sin. But maturity comes over the process of time and over the process of going through the struggle in faith. That's where maturity comes from. (laughs) 
And so Jesus grew in wisdom and knowledge and favor with God and with man. And he had to grow in those things. Well, he had to do it. Guess what that means? If you're going to follow him, then what does that mean for you? (laughs) Okay, now I'm going to say this. Some of you have seen God deliver you. You've been healed. And some of you are still on the fence about whether you want to follow. God's delivered you. He's spoken prophetic, prophetic things to you. You know he's real. But you still seem to be on the fence as to whether I'm really going to lay it down and follow him. You want to keep one foot in darkness and one in light. Jesus said, those who follow me, he said, um, John chapter 8, verse 12, I believe it is. He said, I am the light of the world. Those who follow me shall not walk in darkness, but they will have, have the light of life. It's not just walking in light, but where will it be? They'll have it in them because he will be in them. I will be, that will make them one. Father, make them one as we are one. How unified is the father and the son? Absolute. How unified does he want us to be with him? Absolute. So he doesn't want darkness in there. Are you all right? This is it. And some of you still want to keep one foot here. You have whatever justifications you have for it. And then you're mad because you don't have the joy. You're mad because the fruit of the spirit isn't your portion. You're mad because the prayers aren't working out the way you want them to because you're not abiding. And you get mad at God because his oh God is doing something wrong. He's saying, no, listen, I want you all in. If God blesses you with something, he has to make sure that you can handle the blessing before he wants to give it to you. Some of you, if God blessed you the way he intends to and the way he wants to, the blessing itself would destroy you. Lord help. How many of you guys would like to see people raised from the dead? Hallelujah. All right. Praise God. Now, you ready to pray for someone who's dead? Oh, no, 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 no. Before you say, yeah, I'm just going to challenge. I'm not saying you won't. I want to challenge that. So you're going to get in the face of a family who someone has died, and you're going to say, I want to pray for that individual that God will raise them from the dead. What kind of reaction do you think you're going to get? I don't know, Doug, it happened to you, didn't it? He wanted to pray him and Nathaniel, and I don't know who else was at Grace, went to go and pray for someone who had died, a family member. And his family got furious. How dare you? They wouldn't let him in. Is that strange? That's the way the world thinks. We want to see it happen, but we have to be willing to go past the norms of our culture to be able to do it. Now let's just say, I've seen people raised from the dead. We've had it. My daughter was Ruth, um, your uncle. We were sitting in in the living room and we were praying for him. He was on the table and um, we were praying in there and we prayed, I'm not sure if it was Doug or me who prayed that prayer, but we prayed that, and it was a unity of faith. And it was, Lord, if, 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 if he dies, raise him up so that we can go and tell him the gospel. And we didn't know it at that moment, but right then, he died on the table, and God gave him his life back. And we got to go down and share the gospel with him. In the hospital, down at Landoc, we're standing at the end of the bed, I'm trying to share Christ with him. 
Boy, his girlfriend, she was ticked off. Family members were ticked off. How dare you? But he was asking the questions. But you have to be willing to put up with that stuff because people don't want you to do it. The evil one who's in the minds, working in the sons of disobedience, where he's working, that mindset is still there. There's a hatred for the gospel. There's a hatred for the things of God. How do you know? They crucified Christ. God manifest in the flesh. They said, well, people just want to be loved. No, love was manifest in the flesh and they hated him without cause. So let's just say God says, fine, I'll give you that and go and pray for the next dead person you pray for is going to rise up. So you do it. Now everyone's going to look at you. Wow. Where'd that power come from? You must be super holy. Peter and John, when the man at the temple got raised, raised up, he was paralyzed from birth 40 years, over 40 years. And everyone saw him going in and out and they gave him money and alms. And, but he's raised up and he's dancing now and he's rejoicing. And Peter says, don't look at us as though it was somehow by our power or our name or our holiness that he stands before you whole. See, opposition's an enemy, but praise can also be an enemy. When everyone stands, oh, you're the most brilliant thing, you can believe your own rhetoric. And it becomes, how did the devil fall? Pride entered his heart where he was there in eternity. And he fell. And the warning comes for us. And so God wants to be able to release you from both the fear of man, but also the praise of man. So that whatever they say, you're going to do what he's told you to do. You're going to walk in what he has for you to do, whether everyone's agreeing with you or whether everyone's disagreeing with you. Now, the dangerous part of that is you've got to know that you've really heard. <laughs> Jesus is not of this world. And he says, the ones you have given me, they are not of this world. You who belong to Jesus are not of this world. Stop trying to fit in. You're not of this world. This world systems is falling, it's, it's passing away but he who does the will of the Father endures forever. And this is the maturity. See, you live in a framework of what's called the world and the mindset of it. Have you ever heard of the term worldliness? Okay, worldliness. In, in, our, in our walk with Christ, we have a problem with, well, so we come to faith, we're made new. Our spirit man is born again, but we still have our flesh, the old patterns and the, even just the desires, normal desires, but when the normal desires are fed with lust, then there's a problem. Being hungry or um, intimate relationships with your spouse, those are good things, but when they rule and dominate you, there's a problem. You can walk according to the flesh and it produces these, all these kind of works and all the kind of stuff that it does. But when you come to faith, then you're born again and God gives you his spirit. 
And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is stronger than your flesh. I'm gonna say it again. The Holy Spirit is stronger than your flesh. So if you're filled with him, you have the opportunity now to obey him rather than your own natural desires. When you obey him, you overcome. But your flesh doesn't go away. It's still there. You have to keep crucifying it. You have to keep saying no to it. Say, well, when, when will that end? Well, when we hit eternity. Okay? But that battle still rages, and we have to still say no. One of the difficulties we face in overcoming is that your flesh and the world, they're good friends. Before you came to faith, the world fed your flesh. Everything about it, what you have, you thought, oh, I'm great because I got the Nikes or I got the high tops or whatever it is. You got, I got the clothes. I got, you know, 500 pairs of shoes. <laughs> See, the, the, the world says that your, your value is consistent with what you have. Or maybe you're like, I'm like, you know, maybe a study person and you're really smart and you got a couple of names, letters after your name and I'm like, listen, I'm wise in my own eyes. And the world, the world feeds the flesh that stuff. It makes you feel, fame is fleeting. I remember when I was back in the 90s, when I was pastoring, there was another church, and, and who was, that, who was that, that girl band? Some of you older ones might remember. Some of you the younger ones. Have you guys ever heard of Spice Girls? You heard of them? Do you follow them? No? Well, they were the world's biggest. They were the world's biggest. They were making movies and they thought they were all that. I say it respectfully. They can do stuff I can't do. Fair enough. But just because everyone says you're great, does that make you great? The flesh feeds on it. And how quickly can it change? How quickly it changes. Some of you, it's like, well, even in church, some of you think that the goal is trying to get here at a platform so you can preach. That's your goal. If that's your goal, it's very low. There are many a men and women who stood in a pulpit and couldn't handle the responsibility when it was laid on them. And we see Christian leaders around the world and some of them, people that have God's worked in in power. And, and you think, dude, but you're not here what you're claiming to be here. Is this making sense? Yes. But the flesh feeds on what the world says. The lust of the eye. People say advertising, they try to tell, and they argue these in the courts about advertising and children and everything else. They spend billions putting the pictures of what your kids need. When, when, I remember when Nathaniel, my son, my oldest, he was, he was a little boy and we had one of those in the States, it was like a Sears catalog, they called it. It's like a, the, I don't know, one from Argos, where you get to look through it and find all the things that you always needed and never knew existed. And, and you watch it and the kid, I remember Nathaniel, he was, he was a little guy and it was like, it was not Christmas time, but we were heading that way and we had this thing and he opened it up and he says, he said, dad, I want this and I want this and I want this and I want this. That's the lust of the eye. I, I remember I said to him, he says, dad, I want this, this and this. And then he said, dad, I, 
And I kind of narrowed him down. He said, Dad, I want a Batman and a Superman. I said, well, Matt, um, little tyke. I said, uh, let's pray for it. Didn't have a whole lot of cash, but let's pray for it. That little boy took me at my word, and he went in his room. I remember he went in there, knelt down on his little, little carpet in his room, and they said, Lord Jesus, I said, I want a Batman and a Superman. Amen. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. He comes back out, and he's looking at him in the catalog again, and he goes back into his room. He gets on his knees. Jesus, he said, uh, Jesus, Father in heaven, I, he doesn't really know. I, I want a Batman and a Superman. And he comes out, and now, I think this was like either a Friday or Saturday, because on the Sunday we had visited a family, and that we were in the States, and, and they invited us over for food, and all the kids were downstairs playing. Well, someone else had given the family this big bag of toys. And their boy turned around and gave Nat two toys. A Batman, and take a guess, a Superman. See, but when we crave things and we go after them, and if I see you have what I want, what happens? We go after the individual. That's how wars start among us, where we war with each other because they have something that I want or I want to get, whether it's land or money or whatever, and people want to do that, and that's where wars have started. James says that. But that's the flesh. And the world says, yes, go for it. Yes, if you're bigger, stronger, you can take it. Now, this is the way the world functions. It always feeds your flesh, but it's never satisfied. Just one more. Just a little bit more. Just a bit further. Then I'll be happy. Is that true? We know it's not true, yet we still do it. Is that odd? The reason we do it is we've not changed our mind about it yet. We believe it. And because we believe it, we go after it. The world is not your friend. You're not of this world. The world is not your friend. If the world is your friend, then you're still of the world. Because the world loves its own. Jesus said, I've given them, Father, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world. See, when you begin to, or as you continue, pardon me, to grow, and that work of God, you've, you've got the world, which is over here, and you've got the kingdom, if I can put it, it's like over here, and we're in the kingdom but often we still function, um, if I can use it, it's my world. We still function with some of the principles of there and some of the principles of there. And every time God's attempting by his power, by his word, to move you just a bit further here, just a bit further here, just a bit further here, in your thinking, in the way that your mindset is. I'm gonna close, but I, before I do, I, I just wanna go to that psalm that we read during the prayer time. And I wanna point out just two or three things really fast. Psalm, I believe it was Psalm 18. 
Psalm 18. And we can put that up on the screen. Is it worth verse 1? It might be. Verse 3. I will call upon the Lord, who is what? Worthy. Worthy to be praised. So shall I be what? from my enemies. Okay, so there's an order to that. There's an order to that. Um, I will call upon the okay, who is worthy to be. So it gives you an idea of how they're calling upon the Lord. What are they doing? What the, what's the psalmist saying? I call upon the Lord in praise. He's worthy of praise. But he praises God before he gets the answer. Read it. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and then so shall I be saved from my enemies. The world will tell you until you see it, you don't believe it. You don't praise him for what you don't have. The world says even in religious circles that when it comes to it, that, that you need to, to wait the pragmatics. If it works, then you can praise him. And then, but here he says, no, praise him first. Faith comes first, then the answer. Now, for some of you, your mindset is so still in the world that that, that thought process seems foolish to you. Why would I praise him for what I don't have? Because he says that I will never leave you nor forsake you based on the promises of God, based on the love of God, based on the care of God, based on the power of God, based on the position that I have as a child of God, I trust you and you will deliver me from my enemies. I will praise you before I see it. When you do that, you're functioning by the spirit and not according to the flesh. The world can't dictate to you what it looks like. What's that one song we sing? I look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It looks like around me, but it's you who is my deliverer. So I will praise you before I see it. What we tend to do is worry before we <laughs> see it. Rather than, Lord, I trust you. The test produces perseverance, but perseverance is only produced when there's faith. Lord, I trust you. So let me, let me just, I'll bring it really close. How many of you believe that heaven's a real place? That you're, yeah? You believe that when you die, when you breathe your last, absent from the body, present with the Lord, Yeah? That's the truth. You've not seen it yet though, have you? Maybe some of you've had visions, you've had dreams of it, but you've, you've not been there. Anyone been there yet? I've heard people, that's happened to them, fine, okay. You've not been there, how do you know it's real? How do you know it's real? You guys are quiet, come on now. If someone asks you, you, know, how, you sure you're gonna go there? Yeah, well, how do you know it's real? Faith, but faith is always based on what? Has to be based on truth, otherwise it's just wishful thinking, right? Faith, we don't have a faith that is, is, is vacant of truth, otherwise it's just your imagination. <laughs> and people have wild imaginations, that's for sure. But truth 
that comes from God's word. Well, Jesus is risen from the dead, and he's the one that taught about it, so I think he knows what he's talking about. He made it. It's his home, and he's risen from the dead. But we know it, not only in here, but we have a witness of the Spirit in here, so that when you go through the difficulty, you don't question the end. But in faith, I press through. And I keep pressing through. And perseverance is developing. A, a, a stick-to-itedness is, is being produced in you, which is something that changes you. And it produces character in you. So that even when you're going through the difficulty, you're like, no, I see the end. I know what's coming. And faith, it, it's like, and, but because it's like you've seen it not with your eyes like naturally, but by faith, then when the difficulty comes, you're like, nothing that I'm going through now changes what that is. And you keep going after it. So we praise before we get there. We've been looking at over the past few weeks, and we're going to continue on this idea of worldliness. Because unless you're freed from it, the fruit of your life will continue to be on that side. The freedom that we have is because the Spirit of God is holy. And as He comes and works in you and you repent, He'll bring you more and more so that your mind's renewed, so you're functioning in your identity as part of the kingdom to bring glory to your Father. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning for your love. Thank you that it's never changing, it's never ending. Thank you, Jesus, you died and you bled real blood on our behalf and you paid the price of the judgment we deserve. You paid the price for our sin. You paid the price to bring us release and to take us from slaves to make us friends. More than that, sons, Lord, you brought us into the kingdom. And I thank you this morning, Lord, that your truth sanctifies us. Your truth releases us. Your truth by your spirit helps us to repent so that we can change our mind and see things from your perspective. And that, Lord, in those things, then, we can be obedient, fulfilling your purpose and your will by your spirit. So I ask your blessing, Lord, let your truth come. Let it wash us. Lord, speak to each one about their own situation and wash us in the water of the word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.